Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 35 of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined again by Jacob, uh, who's my co-host today. And today we're going to be talking about a topic, once again, that's pretty topical, but I think also really runs central to a lot of issues um, that come up in superhero stories, which is the idea of mental illness and the stigma around it um, and the way in which that stigma is either problematically portrayed a lot of the times in these stories and sometimes really well portrayed. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about sort of why we're getting into that. But let me just start by saying, Jacob, uh, hello and welcome. Um, how's it going with you today? I'm doing quite well. Anxious to dive into this topic. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, this is one that, that uh, Jacob mentioned to me he wanted to do and I'd already been thinking of. So it's a great bit of synergy there. Um, and it, it came up for me because um, after the, the horrible Vegas tragedy, that shooting, um, there was a lot we wanted to talk about. Um, part of me wanted to do an episode on guns, um, but I remembered we'd already done a bunch about that in terms of Batman and his issues around guns. Part of me wanted to talk about just kind of the culture of violence in the country at the moment and the, the way superhero movies have both um, sometimes contributed to that, sometimes challenged that in great ways. Although, again, that's one we talked about a lot uh, in the issue, uh, the episode we did about Logan, a fantastic movie. Um, but, but the third thing that has come up around a lot is as has happened with a couple of times around these tragedies is um, around these horrific events is that people immediately say, Oh, well, that person's crazy. That the, the problem is the mentally ill and winds up with comments like that kind of thrown under the bus. Everybody who um, has mental illnesses of some kind or another and doesn't take a gun and shoot a whole bunch of people. Um, and so we wanted to dive into that topic, especially because it is one that has come up so often, especially historically in these kind of stories where we've had for such a long time the idea that if a villain is just quote-unquote crazy, you know, that, that justifies anything they do. Um, so, Jacob, t- talk about why this was a topic that was important to you, why you wanted to dive into this. Well, in particular, uh, so mental illness is something that I know many people struggle with. I know many people personally who have struggled with. I had, a, for example, an aunt who's uh, bipolar, uh, and uh, I, I have personally suffered from, from mental illness in my life. Uh, I had struggled with uh, depression. I was suicidal when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, because I went through that, I, I learned a lot about uh, mental illness and about, um, you know, the fact that a lot of people uh, actually do suffer from these kinds of problems, but you know, when you when you look at it, especially in terms of, of how the public deals with it en masse, you end up in these situations where, uh, as you say, and I think it's a great point, people are overly dismissive as soon as it's like, oh, well, they don't think like we do or there's something wrong with their brain. And suddenly it's just that that's an explanation for everything and we don't have to dive any further into it. Um, and particularly, I think it's important to talk about it in terms of the heroes that we portray in our media and the villains we portray in our media, because there's, there's a little bit of a switch in how we deal with it with our heroes versus how we deal with it in our villains. And also in the sort of unhealthy ways that, that these things are portrayed Mm -hmm. in those media. Absolutely. Well, and so let's, let's dive into that because I think that's really a great place to start with what, what are some of the ways these are things have been historically, um, Sometimes today, but especially in the history of, of superhero TV shows and movies, what do you see as some of the problems about how mental illness has been portrayed? Well, the the big one for me is that when when mental illness is being used as the reason why someone is bad, yeah, 
quote unquote bad, you know, that they are a villain because of this, um, rather than it being another aspect of them that we need to consider when we're dealing with them. Uh, the example I thought of earlier uh, specifically was most of Batman's rogues gallery actually yeah. has this kind of problem surrounding them. You take a look at the Joker in many portrayals of the Joker. What makes the Joker dangerous is that he's, he's very alien to us in, in how he behaves and, and how he clearly thinks is different from us. You, there's that, that sociopathy or, or psychopathy. I'm not actually sure which one it is because right. I am, that is a branch of science. I am not that familiar <laughs> with as it turns out. Uh, I, I'm much more familiar with the physical sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a case where, you know, it that's being used effectively to explain everything that this character does. Uh, and it's, you know, that they're evil or they're bad for that reason. Um, and we get very few instances where we have a villain who has a, a problem like this, but that's not actually the reason why they are our villain. That's not why they're bad. It's another aspect to them. Yeah, I I think you're getting at two really key things there, one of which is just the use of it as motivation. Um, And I think that that becomes, as you said, and and it's not that I don't want to say, I mean, mental illness can lead to people doing bad things, although, as again, the vast majority of people with mental illness are not criminal psychopaths by any means. Um, Even people with degrees of sociopathy or things like that can often lead lives that are not dangerous to others. Uh, much to the um, not not what we would see on television or the movies often, but but it's especially I think for me very galling that a lot of the times and I think you're right. Batman is the perfect example. The whole rogues gallery, where there's no discussion of the idea that a person has a specific mental illness that is causing them to act in a specific way, is that the villain is just quote unquote crazy, that they right. are insane, that they're maybe psychotic. You know, and I, I, like you, I have a a real history with this myself. I I deal with depression and anxiety and uh, uh, PTSD. And and it's something actually I've I've talked a lot about with my therapist and done a lot of my own research around. And then I've, I remember being kind of shocked when I discovered that the really, the word crazy has absolutely no meaning in a medical, in a mental illness standpoint. You know, the word insane has almost no meaning in that kind of a standpoint. What, what the actual medical stuff looks for is specific mental illnesses, which can cause people to act in specific ways. But even there, there is still some kind of internalized logic. You know, a person with, um, um, you know, different kind of – may have issues with empathy or may have issues with respecting other people's lives or may have issues with, you know, megalo- megalomania and, and, and desires for power or whatever it is. But there's always an internal logic there. Whereas so often in the in the characters we get in these stories, the idea is if they're crazy, then any action they take makes sense. Because, well, the Joker is just crazy. The Riddler is just crazy. And so anything they do can be explained away. Right. And this is something we've we've actually discussed at length about stories that we like where where our villains make sense within a logic that we can understand. Right. And that that's more compelling to us than the they're just crazy. So everything is justified by the, they're just crazy rant. Right. Yeah. We want it to make some sense. And I think that that it helps because it, it, a, it just makes for much better storytelling, but -hmm. also that doesn't contribute to it because I I think it's, you know, I, I grew up in the age when people were trying to ban violence in video games and Tipper Gore was telling us about violent rap lyrics, causing, you know, people shooting each other in the streets. And I, 
I definitely don't want to go anywhere near that ground. I'm not saying there's a need for censorship or anything of the like. Mm-hmm. I think people make their decisions for the, for their own reasons. But I do think that when we have a culture that is constantly telling us crazy people do terrible things, that's what helps contribute to this idea of, um, you know, oh, a guy shot 50 people at a concert. He must be crazy. And if only right. we had all of the mentally ill people, you know, on better medication. Or, and, and here's right. the irony. Like if, if you tell me the result is we need to fix the mental illness, uh, mental health system in this country, I'd say – well, it had nothing to do with shooting, but yes, let's fix that part of the country. Yes, yes I mean, for sure. I'm in. I don't care how we get motivated to do it. Let's do that. Exactly. <laughs> but so often the discussion isn't let's fix it. It's, oh, anyone with a mental illness is dangerous because they could be. Yeah, and then that's a real problem because it creates in people who I, who start to identify these things themselves, they don't want to come forward right? because they don't want to talk to other people about it. Uh, which then creates the very kinds of, of, quote, monsters, unquote, that these people are saying you automatically are because these people don't get help. They don't talk to anybody. Nobody figures it out until they've been living in their own little world trying to fight it. And guess what? This most of the time is not something you can fight on your own. No, I think I think that's very true. I think the way that it it helps and I think the flip side of that that we'll also get to in a bit is that as much as these stories can help contribute to the stigma That's part of also why I've been so happy to see more recently stories that really start to explore the the actual mental illness that some of these characters, mostly heroes, as you pointed out, but even in a couple of cases, some villains. um, I think there's real power in the fact that we're starting to see that explored because – and I certainly know people who I've talked to who have said, you know, seeing like a realistic discussion of – um, Tony Stark having PTSD or Jessica Jones having having her issues, you know, that allowed me to feel a little bit better going to therapy, you know. So I think that that's, and we'll get into that. But to me, I think that we've had both a problematic representation for a long time, but some positive ones recently that that really give me a lot of hope. Right, and something else I, I want to make sure we talk about um, is that sometimes these aren't always the the, the mental illness or, or mental problems aren't always portrayed as as villainous. But they're sometimes portrayed for laughs yes. uh, in particular. Um, and I'm going to make a bunch of people really angry and I guess I don't really care. <laughs> Go for uh, it. The character of Sheldon in particular on Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. is I feel a very, very problematic example of this, uh, especially the way I've seen it on what little of it I've managed to catch where, you know, he's he's explicitly othered he's he's portrayed as not like the rest of us for laughs um and he's clearly not like the rest of us but i don't think that that's particularly funny yeah no i I think that's a really good point i think that that's something um and i I, i'll admit i have a lot of other problems with big bang theory as well (laughs) well we could go off on a tangent on that for sure um but that's definitely one of them and i think that that's a recurring theme i think the way Mental health disorders, and especially, I think, um, people who are, and I, I um, so who are often portrayed as being somewhere on the autism Asperger spectrum. I guess now we're, mm-hmm. we're only talking about in terms of autism. Um, um, that 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 is so often portrayed for comedy. Um, one of my favorite examples in in more recent media has been um, the character of Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, um, yeah. who. Um, in his case, he comes from a planet that has very different ideas about how people relate. So I, I wouldn't say that he is on the spectrum, but he acts in a way that people would recognize as similar to being on the spectrum. And it's portrayed strictly for laughs. Um, 
And not only for laughs, but there there are some scenes, especially in the second movie, um, where he is very abusive to another character. Um, and that is, again, sort of just portrayed as, oh, that's just how he is, so we can both excuse any pain that he's causing, but also make fun of him and, and laugh at them. And I, I think that that's a, a theme I, I've seen in a number of shows um, that, that can also be really problematic. Right, right. So getting back to, because um, there, there was a point that uh, you were closing in on, and I think I distracted you from it. Okay. Uh, getting back to, to, to heroes, and particularly uh, PTSD and other forms of trauma in our heroes, um, I think that in, in some ways, there, it's, it's sort of a, an easy shortcut that writers are using, and I'm not even sure it's incorrect to give our character a, a mental conflict, a problem that they have to solve mm-hmm. that's internal rather than external as part of their genesis. Yeah. Um, because in a lot of ways, we, and I think that's you know, actually reasonably compelling because in order to make it believable, the character almost has to go through a transformation that, that we couldn't just go through ourselves Right. Mm-hmm. And in order for that to happen, they, they need that catalyst. And it you know, like somebody has to decide to, you know, go out into the street and put on a, a well, for a while, a stocking cap and start beating <laughs> up bad guys. Right. And ultimately, like, get a, a better mask fashioned uh, and beat up bad guys in Hell's Kitchen because, you know what? That's it. Yeah. This is this is where my life has led me. Uh, speaking, of course, of Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. Slash Daredevil. Uh, and it's just, in order to make that believable, there has to be some kind of, of event like that. And there has to be some kind of mentality that is not and not completely analogous to our own. And so I think it is a, it's a shortcut that writers are using uh, to, to illustrate why this person came into being, why they started making these decisions. But in this case, I don't necessarily think it's a bad shortcut. Well, and I, I think there's something interesting there, because I think you're right. Having... Having there be some reason why, because you're right, for the most part, people don't decide to go out and commit and and commit crimes because it's vigilantism. It's it's mm-hmm. not legal in order to do good. Um, very very, and I, I think part of it's because, frankly, I think it would be much more difficult to do. You know, I think most actual attempted superheroes would wind up in jail after their first night. Um, but but even beyond that, I think you're you're right. There's an effect to which. To tell a good story like that, there has to be there, that. It's kind of like a crime. It's like there has to be both means and motive. The the people have to have the the ability to do these things. They have to have some superpower, or they have to have huge amounts of money, or they have to have some technology, something that allows them to be the hero. But they also have to some some motivation. Um, mm. and, and I think this is where you're going. I'm not I'm not sure if this is where you're going exactly, but I know it's one way place I really wanted to go, which is that I I think. Giving those characters good motivations is a great thing. But I'm frustrated yeah. sometimes that in almost every case I can imagine that I can think of, the, the motivation is some horribly traumatic event. Um, right. It's all, almost always the death of a parent or the death of a guardian figure or the death of a, a lover or a child or some horrible tragedy that traumatizes the person and then causes them to decide, okay, I have to go out and, and deal with this. Um, and, I, and I see this as kind of as, you know, historically, the trauma would happen and then the hero would just become the hero and there would be no attention paid to the fact that this traumatic thing might have some mental, you know, scars left on it. More recently, we've started really exploring the idea of 
wait, there are real scars that that can lead. And we started to have some, some great explorations of characters who have, you know, quite literal PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. But I think about it and I think by some definition, almost any superhero I can think of would probably have PTSD as the stories were told to us. Um, and it, it, it makes me kind of wonder, do we need that? Like, could we have a, uh, first of all, are there ones I'm forgetting who do, but more importantly, do we need a, a hero character to have some traumatic event in order to become a hero? Well, I think there, the uh, formative event being trauma makes more sense to us mm-hmm. because we, th- these are people who are taking extreme actions, right? right. These, are, these are people who are going from ordinary, uh, average, everyday lives and eschewing that um, for this sort of um, really dangerous, like constantly dangerous lifestyle um, because cause why, right? Mm-hmm. Why does somebody elect to constantly put themselves in danger? And it makes a lot more sense if they're already kind of scarred to the point where they see their uh, their self-preservation as secondary to what they can accomplish. Right. And to me, it, it, again, it, it makes sense within the narrative that that is born out of trauma, that is born out of something damaging the person to a point where one of their coping mechanisms is attempting to affect change. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I can definitely understand that. And I also want to clarify. I realize um, I said something not quite accurate, which is I, I certainly don't want to imply that every character who – every person, uh, real or fictional, who has had great trauma in their life will wind up having PTSD. Um, I mm. think that could be uh, implied from what I said, and I absolutely don't mean that. Um, and, and I think you're right. Trauma is a very easy way to explain how a person could become a hero. And I think as we're getting – this sort of newer, grittier take on superheroes that started with um, perhaps the Dark Knight movies or, or with Netflix and Daredevil or with some other – some of the comic books, uh, like Frank Miller and stuff like that. Um, the, the idea of them, um, of them suffering from that trauma and having PTSD and, or things like that is certainly coming up a lot. It just makes me sort of think though I would like to see some other motivations that you're right are going to be harder to write and harder to explain. Or I would like to see these guys to go to a therapist. Yes. Like, why do none of the why do none of these heroes pursue? Well, okay, I'm sure there's at least one, and I'm just not thinking of it at the moment. But mm-hmm. why don't any of these pursue uh, healthcare for their trauma, and you know, also fight crime? Yeah, like, that's fine. I would still accept that. Um, and I mean, by by none of them, I mean. I actually, Matt Murdock does in fact do this. And we'll talk about that a bit more later, but yeah. he just doesn't pursue therapy in the traditional sense, but he does sort of, he does have somebody that he talks to on a regular basis about his, his conflicts and his, his trauma. Yeah. I think Murdock, and I, again, we'll go more into detail, but I think yeah, he uses his pastor as a therapist, which is certainly right. a, you know, I mean, I, I'm a former pastor and we had a lot of mental health training. We would never call ourselves licensed therapists, but there, there is a, a therapeutic aspect that I think Murdoch is, is using. And I love seeing that because you're right. We very rarely see that in anyone else. Um, and I think that um, – um, I know there was one – as I was doing some research for this, um, I was pointed to a character that I've, I've not read anything about but I became very curious about. Um, it's just in comic books and it's kind of a more independent one. Uh, it's a character named Aura who was created specifically by a, thera- a psychologist, um, and I'm going to totally butcher the pronunciation of this name. It's Vasilis Posios, um, I think. Um, but we will include a link to an article about it. 
Um, because and 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 in 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 that comic, this, the character specifically has bipolar and talks to a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 but the, the psychologist who wrote this said that part of what made him decide to write it is that he so rarely saw that happening. Um, right. Because I think you're right. For most of them. Um, and I think at least at least more recently we're starting to see this explored. In the past, it was just taken for granted. But a part of what's happening is that these characters are self-medicating through violence. They're, right. you, and, and in many cases also self-medicating through alcohol or drugs, um, as we'll also get into. But I, I think that, that that would be something really interesting to explore is, A, to have, as I said, some characters who don't have PTSD or don't have something like that. But also to have, when they do, to have characters who are really talking to professionals about um, – you know, and it, it, from a from a therapy perspective, I suppose it, it causes a really interesting question about um, the the lines of, of patient doctor confidentiality because right. you do have to um, tell people if someone's going to commit a crime. So I you'd have to play with it to have someone be able to to legally talk to a therapist. Sure. But I, but I think it'd be such an interesting story to explore. You're right. Right. Like, what if? Uh, yeah. What what if a fellow superhero also was you know a therapist or or licensed in in um psychotherapy or, or oh, yeah. psychiatry or, or whatever, it'd be very easy, right? Because they're like, well, I'm breaking the law anyway, mm-hmm. so I may as well use these talents to help my compatriots. And I think just before we move on from this point, and I think we do, but one more point I wanted to make on this is that I think the reason why we don't see this sort of like pursuit, uh, pursuing of therapy is perhaps because there's this idea in the uh, in the collective consciousness of our society, that once somebody goes to therapy, they or, or starts pursuing care for this kind of thing, they they quote get fixed, yes. and then it's all better, and they wouldn't go out. And that's just completely false. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So the story is completely possible, but we're not being told it. And that kind of sort of um, it reinforces without actively reinforcing this idea that well if they did that they would be fixed and we wouldn't have a story that's just actually not true and is a damaging idea yeah no and, I, and it's interesting because i i i'm totally agreeing with you there i actually thought you were going to go in a different direction which i think is also true which is that going to therapy is often portrayed as weakness that, oh yeah you know, that if you were yeah. strong enough you wouldn't have to um and i think that that's another reason why this comes up a lot is that we want our heroes to be seen as the, you know, the strong, silent type, the, the, the American ideal of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I, yeah, the, the, the Hemingway hero is incredibly problematic. Exactly, and such an essential idea of that is that I rely on myself. I don't need someone else. And I think, I think it would be fantastic to watch, but I think it would be a real struggle to have a hero who spent time on a therapist's couch. Because people would really wonder, like you know, it, uh, I think it would, it, and I think it would be great to have that, but I think it would be hard because we have such this idea of, of strength. Um, the one other kind of example that I want to throw in there that I think, uh, again, we've talked about so much, we don't need to go more into, but the only, the only person I can think of who has anyone in any kind of therapeutic role um, is Batman, actually, which is the way mm-hmm. he talks to Alfred, um, and I think it's very important that Alfred is his servant. Alfred is someone he pays, and so there is a power dynamic there that makes it not it makes it safer than therapy often would be. But but certainly right. in things like the animated series, and then in, in the, the Christopher Nolan movies and things like that, we did see Batman talk about his his wrestling with how is he going to deal with his parents' death, and how Alf, Alfred is his sounding board for that. Um, and you know that's not a therapist, and I want to see more, but I do think that that's at least something positive. Because there is someone 
he's the only one Bruce Wayne will acknowledge that kind of weakness to. But at least seeing that, I think, is a very good thing. So, so let's go from there into some examples of some of the specifics of some of the kind of problematic portrayals. Um, where, where do you see some of the ways in which we kind of see this kind of mustache twirling, you know, I'm just crazy villain? And I know you, you mentioned and I come up with uh, like pretty much every Batman villain ever. It's right. Um, right. I mean, you, you want to rattle off a list you've got. Um, and they're not all like completely mustache twirling nonsense villains, but like you have you have the Riddler, mm-hmm. right? Who's got kind of a funny shtick, um, but it's still like, you know, he's doing these things because he's what crazy he's trying to prove something uh and you don't really like delve into it it's more you know batman's you you get it from batman's perspective where he's frustrated because there's these puzzles he has to solve to get people out of danger right um the joker who depending on the portrayal actually the joker is either problematic or really interesting in in the portrayal of of mental illness but it's very rare that we see a joker who is not clearly mentally ill um in some fashion and in some ways i've always thought um i read this wonderful article a number of years ago that that compared joker to uh the character of iago actually from um from shakespeare uh from the the play othello which are are you familiar with yeah yeah Yeah. you know and iago is often you know portrayed is that the reason he's such a powerful character is that he is just such pure malevolent evil um, and that it, he doesn't make any sense. And that to some extent, like, Iago works because he is so different from every other character in the Shakespeare world. But that if you had that on the regular, it would, it would break down. And, I, and I've often sort of thought of Joker as, as somewhat similar. Like, Joker is – he's written in such a way as being so alien, so different, and th- that I'm almost sort of okay with the idea of him being the mustache twirler because part of his idea is that he is just – he is so clearly enjoying playing with everyone else, playing with their and, and questioning the whole idea of sanity. And 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 you're right, there've definitely been some problematic ways he's been betrayed, but but there've been some ways that have been positive that don't even have to fit in any kind of mental illness. But it but it's that for me it's that we get to a point where almost everyone in that, you know, Batman Rogues gallery becomes a shadow of Joker, you know, is just one more I'm just so crazy kind of character. Right. Uh, one more that that's come up more. I'm a, moving away from Batman villains, yeah, but I just thought of that uh, is very recent, actually, back in the public eye in a series I I've loved every series this character has been in. It's a lot of fun, but I'd like to talk about the Tick. Yeah. So the Tick, every, no matter which iteration you're watching, the Tick is clearly unwell mm-hmm. mentally, um, and it is definitely played for laughs, and it you know. It is funny, and I and I enjoy it. But when I look at it from a purely critical eye, I can see a lot of it as being a problem. If you don't step away, if you, if you never step away for a second and go, you know, I actually feel a little sorry for the tick. Basically, every single time I've watched the show, mm-hmm. I come away with a little bit of that too, because yeah, I I don't know what's wrong with him. I I don't know if the comics uh, that that the characters from originally ever elucidate on this ever give us more information about about his origin about where he comes from about why he is this way but and there are some moments in the new in the new series uh that's i forget what kind of exclusive it is i think it's an amazon exclusive i think that's right uh but there are some moments in the series like after he's he's met with his friend his uh, newfound friend arthur 
um, or newfound compatriot, uh, and his newfound compatriot's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to my apartment for the night, and the ticks just stands outside waiting, yeah, because he doesn't have anywhere to go and he doesn't have anything to do, and I thought that it was again, this is a character who most of the time these things are being played for laughs, and that scene was played stone cold. This is a problem. This is serious. Huh. And Arthur came out and talked with him. Was like, do do you know? And Tick's like, yeah, I I don't know. I, I expect I have a home somewhere. And it's it's not funny at all, and it's not meant to be. And I love it. See, and that that yeah, I think that's and we'll get into a bit into some of the um, more realistic portrayals that 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 or at least more serious portrayals because I think that that sounds so good. And you're right. I don't I I don't know much about the Tick, but but everything I've seen of it. It's always that that clearly this is a person who has some kind of mental illness, um, mental issues going on. But all that's portrayed is that that it's supposed to be so funny, um, right. and I think that that's definitely a problematic thing we see a lot is the way those things are portrayed just for comedy instead of being taken seriously. Um, I, I think another, and this is stepping away a little bit out of the kind of sci-fi realm or our superhero realm, uh, the sci-fi realm we normally stay in, but I think by some arguments he could be a super superhero. Um, is the James Bond stories. Because again, mm-hmm. they're almost every major Bond villain. You know, every now and then the motivation is political. But generally the motivation is, oh my gosh, they're just so crazy. They just want all this power and this money because they just want to rub their hands and laugh and talk about how, how you know, great their plans are. Um, and, and it's a funny idea, but when you look at it and, and actually understand what's going on, you realize this is a, these are horrible portrayals of, of things that really have you know people aren't actually like that. That isn't actually a representation of any kind of mental illness. But but so many of those Bond villains, I think, contribute to right. these horrible ideas that that are in society about what mental illness is actually like. Right. I mean, megalomania is a real thing, but it doesn't manifest like that. Yeah. So. For sure. And, and I mean, it, it makes for you know entertaining fiction. I think. And uh, it, it makes it – it's sort of the easy button for – megalomania is a very easy button to press to create yeah. a villain. This person wants all the power so they can stick it in their ears and stick their tongue out and go – but that's not how it works. Yeah. And, and I think that that it, – and I, one thing I should say that I, I probably should have said at the very beginning but I think is, is important to name now because it's also I think a thing that these, these stories can sometimes contribute to is – uh, neither myself nor Jacob is a trained medical therapist or, or medical doctor by any means. And and I think what we are attempting to do is to lump some of these characters into diagnoses that, that kind of make sense. But I think there's there's one of the dangers that can be is that when we talk too explicitly about mental illness in these stories, you know, there's a real danger of thinking we can just by watching 10 minutes of them on screen or, or reading about them that we can diagnose someone. Um, and I think that, that I, I, I think of this a lot and I'm going to sound – is going to seem kind of off the wall and this is normally someone I would never be defensive of in the slightest. But you know, over the last year, there have been a lot of posts about you know, Donald Trump as a, as a definition of megalomaniacal or a definition of clinical narcissist. Um, and to me, that's another one of those examples. Where, and, and, and what they often do is they say, look at this superhero who's often described as being a megalomaniac or, or this supervillain I mean. You know Lex Luthor compared to to Donald Trump, um, and the attempt to their diagnose. And I think that it again is so problematic because, you know, there are many many people with narcissistic personality disorder who don't do any of the terrible things, even if they had power that Donald, someone like a Donald Trump does. Um, and because just because you brought up megalomania, I think it becomes so important. Yeah. There are people who the 
that that word is used to describe a much broader thing in these characters when it actually is a very specific mental illness that does very specific things. And and so having these characters where we just say, oh, you know, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, he's a megalomaniac. So so whatever he does, the it, it makes sense because he's a megalomaniac. That just has almost no bearing in actual medical science or medical truth. Right. Right. As as at least as you or I understand it. Yeah. Um and we're you know, obviously we're we're trying to talk with some we're we're trying to talk about this, so we we've looked into it a little bit, but you're you're right. It's important to to let the audience know that we are not experts by any means in these fields. Uh, we are, in fact, two nerds geeking out <laughs> about various aspects about uh, popular media that we consume and yep. don't really pretend any differently. Uh, but want to make sure that you, the listener, understand that that is the perspective that we are coming from. Definitely. Um, and I want to uh, sh- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to move on to a character I'd love to spend a little bit of time on for a problematic portrayal. Do you have something more on this topic? Uh, no, I, I, I have one more problematic portrayal that I want to mention, uh, but you go ahead with yours first. Well, maybe it's the same one. I wanted to talk about the poster child for anchor management issues as a superpower being the Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner. Yeah. Uh, and, oh boy, howdy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... I know a lot of people – this is tough for me because I have some friends who the Incredible Hulk is a you – know, that's their favorite hero. It's one they strongly identify with. I think because they have the same – they feel they identify being so angry or getting – and using that as a source of power, using that as, as a, a motivation for something – and I just I find all kinds of problems with that, uh, and Bruce Banner specifically being able to achieve his powered form, being able to achieve his form that affects the most change, only when he can no longer manage his terrible, terrible anger. So, so having that be the the way he affects change on the world, and and to the credit of a lot of the different portrayals we've seen, the ones more recently have dived more and more. I feel, and and actually the TV show did this too, which I really liked. Um, and it's part of what makes the character both a problematic portrayal and not a problematic portrayal, is that his anger outbursts have consequences that he doesn't want. Right. Right. He does things that he didn't want to do, but. Making that into a superpower, making it this actual, like, he can't control his anger once he unleashes it. I just, man, that really bothers me. Because I don't want, like, this is this is a character that should be entirely fictional, <laughs> I hope. Bruce Banner, I think, and the Hulk, is, is one of those characters who has been, who has had a long history, and a lot of it was problematic, and some of it has now gotten a lot better. I think... You know, because you're right, and and this is very relevant to what been, we've been discussing in terms of Vegas, where there's been some great research and some great writing on the idea that the, the problem isn't mental illness, the problem is male anger. And that, that anger in men, especially in white men, because, you know, for, for men of color, it is so much more dangerous to be seen as being angry. But that for mm. white men, anger is valorized. Anger is seen as how we fix problems. And, and you're right, it, it's the Hulk, it's, it's how he's held up as a hero because – um, he can get so angry, and and that fixes everything. And I think that that, you know, again, in that like, I'm not saying movies cause all our social problems, but it certainly it, it continues to rebuild this idea 
that for for men, you know, the the way to fix a problem is to smash it, um, and that that's a really problematic idea, and I think leads to a lot of our our issues where men learn that when they are feeling this huge amount of anger, instead of that being something they should talk to a therapist about or try to find help for, that instead that that what they need to do is find a way to express that anger, um, mm. and I think more recently. I've really loved the fact that we've we've seen Bruce Banner talking a lot more about how he wrestles with that and how his anger scares him as much as it does and he's constantly trying to fight it and that at the end of the uh, the second Ultron movie the second Avengers movie Ultron he winds up leaving in part because he feels like he's not safe because he did become Hulk again um, so yeah I, I think he is a great example um, and and the one more that I want to bring up and I think this is just a brief one and then we can get into to more positive ones. Um, but going back again to the Batman world um, is Two-Face. Um, and, I, yeah. and I say him specifically because whereas for a lot of the other villains, as we talked about, they're portrayed as being just generally crazy um, in, in non-specific ways. Um, Two-Face is portrayed as though he is an example of what used to be called multiple personality disorder, what we now, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and now, I forget the exact term that is now used. Um, but I know we, we now have better understanding. I thought it was multiple personality disorder now, so I... No, no, you're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Instead of it being uh, just schizophrenia, like that... that um, schizophrenia is what it used to be called. And yes. before we understood that it was different from multiple personality disorder. Yes. Exactly. And, and again, I, I, I probably should not have even gone into specifics there because, again, I'm not a medical scientist, so kind of just disregard the last 30 seconds. But but the point being that there is, you know, there is a very real medical issue where people have multiple personalities or, or versions of, of things like that, that Two-Face is in no way a representation of. Not, not just that he is, you know, the, 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 um, the murdering and the killing and the crimin- criminality, but just the way he is betrayed and the way it is again like, oh, he's just wild and crazy. He does whatever he wants to do because he's got these two different personalities. And they're kind of, you know, that ha- I, I've heard from many people who, who, who do have that issues like that, a real frustration that they talk about it and they realize they're trying to tell their friends what they're dealing with and, and their friends, their fir- you know, their understanding of what this is like is coming from characters like Two Face, and and there again, I think it's a one, it, it's a case where it just is such an inaccurate portrayal, and that that's so problematic because it um, because it, it is an attempt to be a reflection of a real issue that real people face in a way that has nothing to do with the reality. Mm-hmm. So so with that, let's kind of I think we could go on for a long time about more uh, problematic portrayals, but let's talk about some of the the more realistic ones, some of the ones that are I, I don't want to use the word positive because I think again it's it's showing struggles people are, are going through, but showing them in more realistic ways, which is a positive thing. Um, what are some examples that come to you about kind of better examples that we've been seeing lately? Well, uh, the first one that uh, I love talking about because I really, really love the show, but it's a, apparently a polarizing show mm-hmm. is Jessica Jones. Yeah. So a lot of criticism I hear of Jessica Jones centers around the fact that the, the actress who's portraying the character, they say that she's, you know, stone-faced, doesn't express a lot, uh, and they're they're attributing that effectively to poor acting mm-hmm. or to not being a good fit for the role. And given that we see definite scenes where this actress is emoting in the same show, I just feel like they're missing something very critical, mm-hmm. uh, which is that this is a character who has been violated in a horrendous fashion. 
and it has scarred her. It has wounded Jessica, wounded Jessica to the point where it's difficult for her to feel things yeah. now. And that is a real thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, and this is, uh, and again, I, I don't want to, I don't think, I, I'm not trying to medically diagnose, but I think this, the symptoms she has are, and I say this as someone who has PTSD myself, are very accurate portrayals of what, what actually going through PTSD is like in terms of the potential for anger, the, the inability getting close to people and the inability trusting people and the real fear that, that, that comes so often and the, and the, 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 um, the word triggered gets used far too often today as, as kind of just a catch-all for anything that upsets you. But what it specifically is meant to refer to is, is people who have things like PTSD or some other issues, it, it, you know, a specific thing can happen that puts them back into the moment of trauma and brings about all the feelings of trauma and fears of trauma again. Um, right. And one and, of the things that's great about Jessica Jones is that we see some of those instances. Specifically, yes. we see her getting triggered for her for her PTSD experience, and it's a very realistic portrayal, a very humanizing portrayal, um, and one I I really. I didn't enjoy it because it's not fun to watch somebody go through that, but it made me feel something. It it, abso- it absolutely does, and I know. I mean, for me, um, she for her 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 trauma is one that I cannot claim to have any identification with, but I can certainly have ident- I identified a lot with that character because of the way she portrayed an illness that I know I have wrestled with, um, and I know I've talked to many other people who say the same. Um, and I think you're right; she's one of the best examples. But we've been seeing in a number of cases now. Um, really good explorations of what PTSD or what going through traumatic events like that can actually do to a person. Um, right. Rather than just be the impetus for them becoming a superhero. Right. But really what it, you know, and I, I, we've talked so much about him, but just a, a quick example again is, you know, Tony Stark, the way his PTSD has, has been um, really talked about, I think is a fantastic thing. Um, another one who I want to get into, who I think, Again, because probably almost all of these PTSD could some, to some extent be applied. But in his case, it's more just straight-up depression as well, um, is the character of, of Matt Murdock. Um, and this was actually mentioned to us by a couple of our fans, uh, which I really appreciated you guys for uh, weighing in on the discussion. Um, because I think Matt Murdock is someone who, you know, he, he really talks about, and, and, and in, in those conversations he had with his priest, he really talks about that he is having trouble finding meaning. He's having trouble finding reasons to do the things that he wants to do and and one of the things that i think he he i think he more than anyone almost recognizes that for him the violence the being daredevil is the way he is medicating himself for his depression because that gives him a sense of purpose that gives him a sense of meaning that gives him a way to sort of break through the depression and he's not always sure if that's a good thing or not Uh, and that's again one that i very much could relate to because I, you know, I've certainly had moments in my life where I've been, you know, as you, like you, I've been suicidal um, and I've, I've been struggling to find anything that could help pull me out of that hole. And there are times where I grabbed onto things and then later had to go, wait a minute, is this actually a good thing to be grabbing onto? Um, And so I think Matt Murdock is such a great example. Um, I understand in the comics that's often shown, but especially in the Netflix series. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and a character that I wish I knew more about now that uh, somebody brought up on our Facebook page of Sentry. Yes. Uh, that the more I read about this, the more I really wish I had read uh, at least one comic that this character was involved in prior to doing this pod, prior to doing this episode. Me as well. Because 
the the comment was uh, this is from Axel Foley, so thank you, Axel, for for commenting, uh, saying uh, uh, citing an instance where this character was standing in this doorway for 24 hours just contemplating a single decision. Um, mm-hmm. Just this, uh, and again, I, I don't know that much about the character or, or the background behind it, but I'm given to understand that this has to do with. Uh, this character's actual struggles, own internal mental struggles. Yeah, and I, I, I like you hadn't heard about it, though. Again, thank you to Axel Foley for bringing it up. And I, I should have said this before, but Danny B is the person who, who mentioned um, Daredevil. And I thank you as well, uh, Danny. Um, but when I, when I read about the history of Sentry, he sounds like a really fascinating character because he is also someone who has had his mind specifically attacked in a number of ways. And And here again, this is where the kind of thing where we see someone who's dealing with mental illness that comes from a source that, that no person could relate to, you know, psionic violence being done against them. But, but the, the damage that happens, the results of which are very similar. And they, and they, they, they you talked about how the character has really wrestled with depression, has really wrestled with um, having been gaslit, uh, having gone through the mm-hmm. pro- where, where people are specifically challenging your own ideas of reality to make you feel more crazy which is a thing that is very real and that often happens to, to people with mental illness or, or can be a cause of mental illness when it's done to people who, who are not dealing with these things in the slightest. Um, so yeah, Sentry is another one who I think becomes so interesting. Um, I also know um, I am not someone who has seen much of uh, Last Airbender, uh, the TV show, the movie, I think we're all going to agree is awful. Um, but I know you, you, you wanted to bring up a character uh, from, that, from that world. I'd love to hear you talk about more. Right. So I want to talk about Avatar Korra. So this is from The Legend of Korra, which is the second uh, series in this line. Uh, Specifically, what I wanted to bring up was uh, Avatar Korra is actually another, I feel, really good example of somebody who who experiences uh, enough things, uh, enough things happen to her that she ends up with with post-traumatic stress. Um, What what happens with Korra, she's uh, sort of, she's on her own, she's the Avatar, uh, if you don't know the world... Uh, this is a character who is placed is being the there the balancing force of their whole world. They have this you know large amount of power, but also this huge responsibility to keep the the rest of the world in check. Mm. Uh, and because of that, she's she faces in the course of just a couple of years, just like two maybe three years, these incredibly powerful nemeses. Uh, far beyond actually the the nemesis that her predecessor Ang had to deal with. Uh, at one point, she faces somebody who's trying to bring about this huge change by reviving or, or breaking from a prison this entity that's like a foundation behind one of the fundamental forces that are in. She has to fight this thing, and it's it, it only gets worse from there. The kinds of things that she ends up going through, and eventually, the mental weight of it gets to her. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring up Avatar Korra specifically, and this sort of ties back to to Jessica Jones in a way, is that something when I talk with people who liked The Last Airbender, liked The Legend of Aang, but weren't as big into The Legend of Korra, one of the things they bring up is they frustrated with her. Specifically, they get frustrated with the character uh, spending so many episodes just being tortured mm. by these events she's experienced. What they want, it seems, is they want her to get over it and be the hero. Yeah. Right? And so that brought, brings me to a question. It's the same kind of thing with, with Jessica Jones, I feel, in a way. is like, Do we really want our heroes to be invulnerable to mental problems or to be able to just shrug these things off and move on, uh, separating themselves from the realm of believability, in my opinion, so much that 
we just we can't stand watching media that and I'm not this is not meant to criticize those people who don't like the legend of Korra. That is a perfectly valid uh, opinion to hold. I'm not telling mm-hmm. you you're awful people for, do, for not liking the show, but that specific point uh, doesn't gr- doesn't jive for me because in this particular case, it is very realistic that Cora has these problems and it takes her a long time to get over it, and it takes her having to talk with having having to talk with people, having to reconnect with people in order to get over this mental weight and really come into her own as somebody who's been through all of this has confronted it and has come out, uh, if not, she's, she's not completely fixed even after all of this, but she still, uh, she still acts. She still embraces her mantle once more. And I, I think that's a fantastic point because you're right. Often the, the, per, the perception of mental illness is once you have your breakthrough moment with your therapist or once you get on the right medication or once you have a catharsis moment with the person who hurt you, that you're all better. Um, and I think I, – I don't know much about the, the character Cora, but I, I think the way you're describing it, and certainly I think with Jessica Jones and with some of these others, what we're getting is characters who they might come to better terms with their issues or their illness. They might be able to better manage their symptoms, but it's very clear that they're not going to be cured overnight. They're, um, they may never be cured. They may get to a point of, of balance. You know, Like I've always known that with my own depression is probably never going to be cured. It's just going to be at a point in my life where I'm in control of it instead of being in control of me. And I think the same thing with, with characters like Jessica Jones and with Cora and with so many of these others. I'm really glad that we don't just have the story of, you know, where we're in because I think sometimes that's what people want is that in movie number one, they have some traumatic thing happen. In movie number two, we see, see them dealing with the mental trauma of, uh, of that re- action. But by the end of the movie, they're cured, and now they can go on to the third movie and be fine again. Um, yeah, they, they want a new hope, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, rather than Empire Strikes Back ten times, which I don't understand. Because <laughs> Empire Strikes Back ten times sounds great to me. I, I would agree what with you. What a good story. I would agree with you there. Um, um, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I've actually just been re- – every now and then I go through comfort reading where I'm just kind of reading books that I've read many times before because I just like it. It's a de-stress thing. Um, and recently I've been rereading the Harry Potter books. And, mm. I, and I, I love those books in so many ways. In so many ways they're problematic. But a number of people I know have talked about um, the fifth book as actually being that, that what Harry is going through is PTSD, that Harry is going through the issues related to seeing Cedric Diggory die and seeing Voldemort return and all these kind of things. And I, I love that portrayal because his his character of being the broody, angry teenager is he's still an obnoxious kid, but it makes more it doesn't justify the way he's acting, but it makes more sense when it's seen through that line of the trauma that he had at the end of book four. Until I then started reading book six again, which I've just done, and by book six he seems to be cured. Um and it was well, just well, I don't think he is. I think he thinks he is, but that's a top. That, that's yeah. okay. Well, that's, probably a deep dive topic. That's one we did, uh, yeah, would argue with, but it, but I think it just does. He may not be the best example of it, but but certainly this that is a trend we see a lot of the character who just kind of gets cured. And you're right. I think I'm really glad with people like Coro, with people like Jessica Jones, with people like Tony Stark, that we're not just seeing that happen. Um, right, and remember with uh, Jessica Jones, she's still. Uh, she still suffers from alcoholism. Yes. Even after killing Kilgrave. Yes. Uh, which okay, sorry, spoilers for Jessica Jones. 
she kills Kilgrave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or at least we're given to understand that she has killed the purple man. Um, no, and I, but, I, I love that because you're right. In the Defenders, she still is emotionally walled off. She's still yep. – she's a little – she's able to connect with Luke Cage a little bit more than she could uh, and to connect with some of the others. It's clear she's making some progress. She, she started but, healing, but it wasn't a, a light switch. Absolutely. It wasn't the and, – and, and I think you're right. The fact that her alcoholism is still there. I'll admit it bothers me a little bit that in um, – the Defenders. Yeah, that one scene in Defenders that's played well, entirely for comedy. Yeah. And just it seems in general her alcoholism is, is played a little more for comedy. I really hope they explore it deeper in, in Jessica Jones season two. But you're right. I think it's such a great example. Um, another example I want to bring up again from the, the Netflix world, but because here we're not talking about a hero, but one where I think this is a much better example of a villain who has mental illness but isn't just the mustache twirling crazy one. Um, and that's Wilson Fisk, um, Kingpin, you know, and I think one of the things that is so interesting that I think makes Daredevil season one, maybe one of my, uh, not, maybe not my favorite, but one of the top three of the Netflix shows, um, is that they, they, they do such a good job of showing that both Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk had horrifically traumatic childhood things that happened to them. Um, not the same by any means. But, but both were deeply scarred by that and that those scars and those traumas do a lot to help explain the way the character is today. Um, and Wilson Fisk is portrayed as having incredible anger issues, as incredible problems trusting people, um, as, as diving very deep when he does trust someone with a woman he falls in love with, um, and, and also with having a, an incredible need to control the world around him. You know, Wilson – and that, that to me resonates so much – when I watch Wilson Fisk as someone who he has been so scarred by the chaos of the world around him and the chaos of his father and of his family that he feels like the only way to be safe and the only one anyone else can be safe is to control everything. That to me is a, is a believable villain who has had a yeah. trauma. The trauma has scarred him and those scar, you know, and, and because again, it's not, and I don't watch that and say everyone who went through his childhood would react the way he does and do the terrible things he does. But I am able to say his actions make sense within the internal logic that his trauma created for him. And one thing I love about this example specifically is that the character of Kingpin, prior to this point, now I'm willing to, to learn if this has been done before the Netflix series for, for Kingpin specifically, but the portrayals I had seen of, of Kingpin before were very two-dimensional um, megalomaniacal villain, like this yep. is just a person who's who wants power, who's exercising control, and just this addition of a third dimension. And I think so. This is a question that I um, would like to pose to you: Do you think that these more recent portrayals of, of both heroes and villains maybe are coming out of the fact that our society, actually as a whole, is starting to understand mental illness a little bit better? And so that's actually trickling into our media and the writers are being sensitive to that because now that we have some some better understanding, they can use that to create these these more realistic, these more believable characters on both sides. I, th I think there's two parts to it. I think that is certainly one. I think that the discussion about mental illness has gotten a lot better and a lot more nuanced and we're, we're realizing that. I think the other is just that there's this real love of grittiness now. That we don't want perfect characters. You know, that the fact, like, 
I always loved that Batman and Superman were supposed to be two such, you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum from each other. And that, that Batman is supposed to be this haunted, haunted character, whereas Superman is supposed to be this, like, you know, utterly happy Boy Scout. And in the most recent portrayals, even Superman is being shown as having all of his trauma. Um, and I don't think that that's bad necessarily, um, but I think it's inter- – so I, I think that there's, there's to some extent where, you know, in the post-Breaking Bad world, we just – writers just kind of think every story has to have trauma. Every story has to have grittiness. Every – no hero can just be good. They all have to have things they're wrestling with. Um, so I think that's part of it, but I think there's an extent to which when people say – well, we need grittiness. Mental illness is one way to do that, especially because these characters are so obviously possibly susceptible to trauma issues. And 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 I do think that you're right that it's coming that then it comes from a place of we know so much more about mental illness, we're so much more aware of it, we're pushing the idea of it, and that there, these shows it really influences that. It is being used as sort of a tool in their toolbox to to push their narrative, right? Uh, rather than so it, it's not necessarily that they're you know being advocates for awareness on these things. Uh, and I'm not trying to paint it in that light. It's, I feel a little bit true that um, because our understanding is more advanced uh, as, as a culture is, we, more of this information is out there, it is also easier for them to, to hit the easy button, for the easy button to, to create a more complicated reaction, if that makes any sense. To be sure, to be sure. And I think we may well get to a point where we're a little sick of characters wrestling with trauma, you know? And so, I, I, yeah. I, I think like anything, it can become a cliche, but I think right now I'm really happy with it. Um, we, we've gone on a while, so I, want to, I just want to mention one, or, one more, and then I want to get into one that I knew you really want to talk about, um, and we can kind of maybe cl- uh, cl- uh, finish there. The one I want to mention briefly, again, more sci-fi than superhero, but uh, obviously we link those a lot, in the new Star Trek Discovery series, um, we've only just met her in one episode, but there's a character named Cadet Tilly who – it isn't clear yet, but I think there's a strong possibility that we're meant to think this character is somewhere on a spectrum. And it's a little bit portrayed for comedy, but but much less than that would normally happen. And, and there's much more sympathy given for this character and much more this character being portrayed as one who um, – is really believable in what they're struggling with, especially because they talk about they talk openly about the the problems they have relating to people and how they're working through it. Um, and we see our hero at first start to dismiss this character, and then be forced not to in a way that I think is a really good example of how we should be showing how to deal with um, uh, neurodiversity of that kind of way. Um, so I wanted to mention that briefly, and then I want uh, you to get into one I know you want to talk about, and then we can maybe end up there, which is the Punisher. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry, you, you brought up Spectrum and I really want to... Oh, no, go for I, it then. I want to throw down my nerd cred and talk about Death Note. Yeah, uh, go for it. So, uh, specifically uh, in, in Death Note, the characters of both L and N, N more so than L, but both of them are, are clearly um, some on somewhere on the autism spectrum, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, based on how they're portrayed. And what I love about that particular portrayal for both characters, N specifically, is that the presentation of this is uh, of these aspects of these characters is really more like it's part of the scenery. It's part of the background. The well, one character is like um, constructing this, this intricate model of, of sugar cubes uh, while they're talking, while they're, while they're talking with people. Uh, but like, it's, it's sort of ancillary 
and it's not actually used as a as a means of othering them, except perhaps to show that you know these people aren't aren't quite the same as us. But no, none of the characters even bring it up. Nobody mm-hmm. talks about it. It's just there. It's part of again. It's kind of part of the scenery, um, and I really like that because these are both characters that in the show are uh, Ellen and N are both incredibly impressive characters and ones that we are we are meant to hold in high regard. And I feel like that sort of um, having actual heroes, because the main character of Death Note is not a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having our actual heroes have those kinds of problems and not have anybody make a big deal out of them and not using that to define who they are. I just, I love that. And I would love to see some more of that in fiction. That sounds wonderful. And I think you're right. There's such a need for <clears throat> more, more better portrayals, not just that model characters with mental illness or mental issues, but also that model how their friends and how people around them can react. Because I think yeah. for a lot of people, uh, uh, either whether they do or don't suffer from issues themselves, we often don't know how best to react to other people dealing with them. And, I, and I'm going to go way outside the realm of superheroes and things like that for just one moment to give what I think is the absolute best example of this I've ever seen, which is the character of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Um, because Eeyore is – and someone pointed this out in an article I read recently, and it blew my mind to think about it. Eeyore is – and again, portrayed without any real understanding of mental illness when it was written. But he, he, he acts in a way that I think a lot of people with depression could completely relate to. He's constantly down about everything. He's constantly talking about the worst possible option. He's constantly, you know, sort of a, a negative nanny kind of perspective. And his, his friends don't care. They keep inviting him to everything. He keeps – he's always part of the group. He is just accepted for who he is and for his perspective, and no one ever gets on him about it. Um, and I just think that's such a great portrayal. And yeah, if we saw more of that and things like uh, Death Note, uh, it would make me really happy. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Eeyore's a great character. Yeah. So 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 clearly Winnie the Pooh we've now included as a superhero. Um, yep. uh, Christopher Robin maybe. Uh, Winnie Winnie and Piglet. Piglet is one hundred percent a hero. For me as a Roly Poly person, I really want to have Winnie the Pooh as the hero, but I totally am with you on the other two. Um, but yeah, let's let's. So now let's talk about Punisher and kind of end it out there because I know that's one. That oh could, yeah. Um, let's I, talk about Punisher. I let's hope, talk about somebody who solves their problems with guns. And I hope uh, I'll say this. This is going to be brief because I think when the new Punisher season comes out, I think we're probably going to do a full episode on it because Punisher raises so many questions that we wrestle with on this podcast. But let's specifically talk about Punisher in terms of mental illness because I know this is one you wanted to get into. Right. So uh, the way he's presented in the second season of Daredevil specifically. Um, where he is clearly suffering from some some trauma from events from events surrounding his family specifically, uh, and then how he chooses to deal with that, uh, where he creates this sort of dichotomy of there's bad people and there's good people, and I'm gonna shoot the bad people. Yep. And his pr- approach on that very like it, it for whatever reason he gets this moral clarity. And he has a couple of long conversations with Matt Murdock where he effectively tells Matt Murdock, you don't know what you're talking about. And Matt Murdock is saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, it's it's a bit more articulate than that. <laughs> so the question I want to ask is, uh, how different do we think the Punisher is from what potentially could be, uh, we think, wrong with our Las Vegas shooter? So you asked me this question earlier today, and I, I admit my knee-jerk reaction was they're completely different. And then I had to kind of stop myself and think, wait a minute, why are they? And I think you're, 
I think you're right in that um, you're, the, the, the wrestling with them, having with it, is why it is such a good question to ask. And I do think that they are different, but I think they are – it is important for us to note the ways they're different because a lot of mm. it is subjective. A lot of it is, first of all, that the, the Punisher is presented most of the time, until recently, he's presented as somewhat of a hero. Um, I think in Daredevil, he's presented as an anti-hero, which I, which I really like, because as, as people have heard other episodes where I've talked about vengeance, um, I, I, I am not on board with the Punisher. I think he's a great character to help characters like Matt Murdock find the line of where they don't want to go. But the Punisher is, to me, very much on the other side of the line of what is okay. I think, and I, and I think that that's important, because I think that's we're getting the, the Punisher portrayed in a very specific way. We're getting the Vegas shooter portrayed in a very specific way. But both of them are people who have come to believe that the mass application of violence is an acceptable way to fix the problems that they see with the world. Um, and then in both cases, that is to me fundamentally problematic. Um, I think to me, one of the major differences between the two of them and you might call this subjective, and I think it's possible, but I, I don't think the fact that it's subjective takes away from its power, is that the Punisher's decision of who is bad or not is fairly in line with the general societal belief about who is bad in terms of the people who he is targeting are criminals, are people who are engaging in criminal behavior. Now, the lengths that we, he goes to to target those people are, are far and above, I think, what most people would accept, although clearly many people think, you know, they want law and order and they want the Punisher-type behavior. But, but his, act, his decisions about who is and who is not worth killing are a lot more in line with one. I, I can understand where he's coming from. I can understand why he sees those people as evil. And, and there's a degree of self-selection of, you know, he's not just saying all the people in this neighborhood are often criminals from so going to kill all the people in the neighborhoods, he's being a lot more discriminate. Whereas right. the Vegas shooter, I think there's two things there. One is that he has this perception of everyone being evil um, in ways that are, we can't relate to that are much, much further outside anything that is recognizable to us as to who is evil or who is not. Um, and secondly, that it's far more indiscriminate. You know, it's not a gathering of people who all share an ideology that could be found to be, you know, believed to be evil. It's not a specific gang of people who have done something that that Vegas shooter was wronged. He was coming at much more of a perspective of everybody is evil. Everybody has to die. Um, and, 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 and yes, the difference between him and Punisher, I think, is one of degrees. It's not a firm black and white line. I think the degrees are different enough that it's important to talk about them as very separate. But I, and I, I want to hear your response, but I think for me, at least your question helps us highlight the fact that, that the difference is more one of degree. Um, and uh, it, it's, you know, and it would be dangerous, I think, to label either one of them as just, oh, they're crazy, you know, for the, that there's two very different kinds of internal logic happening with both of them. But in each one, there is some kind of an internal logic. Right. And I mean, there's a lot we don't, we still don't know about the Las Vegas shooter. Uh, but one thing I, I kind of latch onto here, and it's one of the reasons that the Punisher is, is such a problem for me personally. Uh, and I, I can't really get behind his portrayal as a, as a hero is that like the, the major difference here is the, the only validation 
uh, we're getting for the Punisher's choices of who deserves to die are coming from a collective of individuals. Now, in this case, a collective of individuals is, you know, our society and what we deem to be legal or not legal. But that collective of individuals could just as easily be a bunch of guys of like-minded people on a website on the internet, and now suddenly it's an issue. Yeah. So, like, just just the having validation from an outside source is not enough. And we we could argue uh, for way too long about whether or not there is a, a definitive agreed-upon morality uh, that the Punisher falls closer in line to than this other person. But what is, what is an issue for me and why I wanted to draw the comparison is that it is entirely possible, and we again, we don't know yet, but it is entirely possible these are two people who came to the conclusion that the, that other people deserved to die, and and that was it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they chose that they were going to be the instrument to to deliver that fate to those individuals. And it's troubling to me that we would that we would heroicize somebody who who makes that kind of a decision. I don't like it when I see it in cop shows and I don't like it when I see it in my superheroes. Yeah. No, and in that regard I'm completely in agreement with you. And I, I, I will say we can get we can get more into it when we talk specifically about the Punisher. I like his betrayal in the most recent Daredevil because I think he's very much not shown as a hero. Um right. but I think, you know, there, certainly when I was a kid there were a number of movies about the Punisher and what a hero he was. Um and I think I agree with you that they are just as problematic in part because I think there is a sliding scale from the Punisher to the guy in Vegas. You know, it's a, it's a very right. long scale. I think they're very different, but I think it's a difference of degree. Um, and, I, and I think the other thing that becomes relevant, we talked earlier before about how what a lot of times is seen as mental illness is actually anger. It's rage that has no expression and has no way to be processed and so is expressed in terrible ways. Um, and I do think that's one thing that probably the Punisher and the guy in Vegas share. I think that the Punisher, I think one of the things we get from him a lot is that, and I think, in, you know, if you want a comic book example of the danger of white male, of white male anger, the Punisher is probably a great example of that because he is someone who has, you know, things that I, I, I can 100% understand why he's so angry about. You know, he went off to fight for his country and came back to find that his family was killed and that his country was not going to be able to do anything to help him and that instead he was actually kind of being thrown out on his ass. And he he has this incredible – but he is one of many characters who I think if he would had a good therapist somewhere along the way, maybe his path goes in a very different way. Um but, but again, it's not that, that I don't think he's crazy. It's that I think he's got unprocessed, unprocessed anger issues, um, mm-hmm. which, which is a very different kind of a thing. Um, and, and, and unprocessed trauma, too. Yeah. It's one of the, at least the, the new, newest portrayal, one of the defining characteristics is that, like, the, his motivation is based on, like, this, this world can't exist where these things can happen. So yeah. I'm going to make it so that it can't. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely an issue that that and, and and again I think that I'm I'm going to be very curious about the new Punisher television show. I'm going to be nervous about it because I I am nervous they're going to portray him as a hero, and I'm nervous about how they're going to portray his mental issues. But I think so. Did you did on this line? Did you hear that they pulled uh, the Punisher uh, stuff for lack of a better way of putting it out of New York City Comic Con? They made the the choice to do that 
in the wake of the Las Vegas shooting to just not have uh, the Punisher character or, or people or anything there at all. I didn't hear that, but I think that that's probably the smart decision. It is a good sign, too, I think, for for how, uh, I guess, ethically we're mm-hmm. going to be portraying this character. I think so. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, as am I. So and as I said, I think that and it also it opens up whole other questions of accountability and, and other things that, that will be a different show. But I think I'm, I'm glad you asked that question here because I think it does tie into as we as we as a society ask questions about, you know, what 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 happened to cause this person to do this horrible shooting in Las Vegas? Um, and, and myself, you know, a lot of my answers are about the access to the guns and stuff, but, but part of it is to his mental state. Um, and, and I think we need to, as we just stay away from just the easy answer of, oh, he's crazy, he's mentally ill, but instead as we get into things like the anger, that whatever trauma he may have or may have not gone through or whatever has, has led to this, um, looking at characters like the Punisher I think is important because I think it's, that there's something in that character that, that can be reflective. Um, so we could go on for a long time about this. There's so much more to go into, uh, as almost there is always, but we've gone pretty much over time already. Um, so I want to kind of start wrapping up. And Jacob, do you have any kind of concluding thoughts you wanted to share? Probably not new examples, but your kind of wrap-up thoughts? Uh, no. Honestly, I think we've covered all the territory I want to. This one's gone longer than, than our other ones have because we were able to come up with, I think, so many examples and in, in different, different portrayals that we either um, – uh, enjoyed or did not enjoy for various reasons or thought were problems or not. Um, I don't, yeah, I, the, the, without actually getting into new things such as like, why don't we see more portrayals of depression or, or right. Without getting into things like that, I don't think I have much I want to contribute. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I think this has been a good discussion. I think I, I really just hope we start seeing more things. Like I said, I, I'd love to see a, a hero who doesn't have a traumatic background. I'd love to see some characters with some other mental issues they're wrestling with. Certainly for me as someone who, who deals with serious anxiety issues, I'd love to see that. I, and I think there have been one or two that I'm just blanking on right now, but I'd love to see it more. Um, oh, anxiety issues like the uh, main character from um, the Harry, Harry Potter world uh, movie. Oh my goodness. Right. Oh yes. Uh, um, and where to find them. Fantastic uh, Beasts and where to find them. Yes. Yes. Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Anyway. So that is a portrayal of a character who suffers from anxiety and, and other social issues. Definitely. And, uh, and a God, great, I love that character so much. He's such a good character. The movie has some problematic points, but some great points, but he's a great example, not only of the anxiety, which is a big thing, but also of a distinctly non alpha male hero, which is, mm-hmm. I think we, we talked before about often, you know, so often the image of male, uh, heroism, He's such a different one, and that, that's a great example. Um, to you all, as always, I, I just want to say this week we got some great comments on both Twitter and Facebook uh, in response to both last week's episode and to um, this episode that was coming up. Uh, that, to me, is the whole reason getting started this. I want to I have discussions like that. So this is a pretty controversial topic. Post it us on Facebook. Post us on Twitter. Let us know what you thought. I would love to uh, keep this conversation going with you all. Um, on both Facebook and Twitter, we are Superhero Ethics. Um, if there's other places you want to find us, um, please let us know. Um, it, that, that would be great. We just want to keep those discussions going. So on behalf of myself, on behalf of Jacob, um, thank you guys so much for listening, um, and we will come back to you soon. We have talked before about an episode about Magic the Gathering. We've had to reschedule that a few times, but that is coming soon, I promise, uh, as well as some more great episodes. So keep listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Take care.